If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're talking about Group B Strep. What is it? How often do people have it? What do you do if you have it while you're pregnant? What do you do if you have it during labor? How might this affect your baby? So we answer all those questions and more. For this conversation, I have Dr. Tara Randis on. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Tara Randis is an associate professor of pediatrics and molecular medicine at the University of South Florida and chief of the division of neonatology. She's an active member of the Society of Pediatric Research, American Pediatric Society, and the Perinatal Research Society. Dr. Randis is also on the board of directors of Group B Strep International. She handles this information so well and offers it in a way that is easily digestible and not scary and conversational. So I think any pregnant person, any new parent, this is going to speak to your needs for groupie strep because every pregnant person gets tested for this. So it's something that we want to understand well. Before we get to that conversation, I just wanted to say I have seen an uptick in the downloads of our free downloadable. So it's called Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Pains. Now, I really should change the the title to Pregnancy and Postpartum because this downloadable can help anybody, pregnant or postpartum. So head to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com, download it, and then just have that available for the days that you can't get to class, but maybe your upper back and neck are hurting, or your lower back, or your hips. And within a few minutes, a couple asanas, this can help alleviate some of that discomfort. So please enjoy. I also want to say thank you for those that are leaving reading interviews. It is really helpful for people finding the podcast. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'm hoping that you're getting what you need from it and that others can enjoy it as well. So if you wouldn't mind taking a moment and leaving a rating and review, it would really mean a lot to me. So thank you in advance for that. And then the last thing I want to mention before we jump into the conversation with Dr. Randis is a little bit about our teacher training. So you've probably heard me talking about it. We have an 85-hour prenatal yoga teacher training. 
So if you've got any sense of me from the podcast, you know that I love evidence-based information. I like to peel away the layers and really look deep at the topic. And that's what we do in our teacher training. So if you're a yoga teacher and you want to best serve the perinatal community, this training can give you those skills. How can you support someone during pregnancy? How can you help their aches and pains during pregnancy? How can you offer childbirth education in ways that we can easily digest and then continue to help empower people to make choices about their body, about their birth, about their way of parenting. So if any of this resonates with you, head to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and check out our teacher training. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break and when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Randis. Hi, Tara. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing today? I am doing great. You know, I'm excited to jump into this topic because I have to admit, in all the years I've been working in the perinatal world, I haven't really jumped into this topic. I know when I had my kids, all I was worried about is being GBS negative. When I was a doula, I'm like, okay, they need antibiotics. But I hadn't really had a lot of deep discovery until someone asked me more about it. And I thought, oh, well, this is a good podcast because I don't know much about it. So <laughs> I'm excited and thank you. Thank you for... Well, I'm so glad you're excited. I, yeah, so glad. I know. It's, I'm such a dork this way. Like I love science for someone that hasn't taken a science course probably since the 10th grade, but <laughs> this will be fun. Well, we're going to have a great conversation. We're going to yeah. have a great conversation. So I guess before we get too, too deep into this, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and how you came to focus on neonatology and become one of the board directors of the Group B Strep International. Sure, sure. So I, I started my medical training and really recognized early on that I loved pediatrics. Um, that was, that was a very easy decision for me. It was a good fit, but I really enjoyed caring for infants and, and newborns. Um, but I also enjoyed my rotations in obstetrics. Um, so I was really interested in, in pregnancy and, and childbirth and, um, Neonatology really just offered the perfect crossroads of, of those two things. So, so once I completed my pediatrics training, I did some, some further um, training to become a neonatologist and it, it's just been wonderful. It's really been the perfect blend of, of all of those things together. Um, and I do, sp- uh, I do spend about half of my professional time in the laboratory and I study perinatal infections. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about perinatal infections, group B strep is, is at the top of the list. So, so while I spend half my time uh, caring for patients, the rest of my time is, is in the laboratory trying to understand how GBS causes infections and, and hopefully discover ways that, that we can um, prevent those. And through that work, I really came to know some of the other members of the board of Group B Strep International and really was uh, quite fortunate and, and uh, delighted to be asked to join that group. Yeah, it's a wonderful website, and, and I know you guys do wonderful work, and it's very exciting that I had a chance to speak with someone from there. So I guess let's go to the very basics for those that are hearing that, and they're like, what is this groupy strep she speaks of? So what, sure, how do you sure. describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so groupy strep is a bacteria, and it's all over. It, it's it's a commonly found in our gastrointestinal and our genitourinary tracts, and in fact, it's actually found in some animals too. It, mm. We we know it's in cows, it's in some fish, so it's it's all over. But twenty five percent of us are colonized with with groupy strep, meaning it's a part of the microbial community that that lives in our body. And for the vast majority of us, it never causes a problem. Um, in, in those of us that, that 
and, and those individuals that are vulnerable though, because of their age. So, so elderly individuals or the very young, like infants or in people that are immune compromised, um, or pregnant, it can cause serious problems. So really, um, you know, we don't talk about it a lot outside of pregnancy and newborns because it's all around us and it really causes problems. I didn't even know that it could affect older people. It really, in my world, was just about being pregnant, getting a culture at 36 weeks. If they have it, someone has antibiotics throughout their labor. So I didn't realize how abundant it is um, yeah. and how yeah, it affects so- so older individuals or, or anyone with some, some compromise in their immune system. So, um, uh, individuals with diabetes, for example, can be at higher risk for infections with group B strep, but it is pretty rare in adults. And, and really the focus is, is during pregnancy and, and early infancy. So let's go into that. So I was scouring your website researching to prepare for this. And what I didn't know is that babies can get infected during pregnancy. So I know that if someone shows up group B strep, they have antibiotics during labor. What is someone doing if they find out there's group B strep during pregnancy to help the yeah, baby? That- that's a really good question. So, you know, we, if you've heard of group B strep or, or like you're saying, you, you've had a child before we're pregnant, the focus is, is often around the time of delivery. And really that's because we actually have some strategies to prevent disease, um, caused by GBS that is acquired during the time of delivery. But unfortunately, because GBS is, is around in many of us, it can cause some infections in utero. Um, it can cause something called, um, chorioanionitis, which is really just an infection of, of the, um, sac around the baby. Um, and in some cases it can actually cause, um, stillbirths. So, um, we know that globally GBS is, is an important, uh, a leading cause of, of stillbirth. So, um, the, the troubling thing is we don't have any strategies to prevent that right now. And, and really ultimately the goal is for the development of a GBS vaccine, mm-hmm. um, because that would be the way that we could potentially, um, combat some of those, those really unfortunate pregnancy outcomes. Cause right now we don't, we don't have anything for that type of infection. And so then what happens if someone finds out they have it while pregnant. I mean, is that just, it feels like a stressor on the pregnant person. Right. Of course. Of course. Right. Having some information and not having any tools to, to, to know what to do or even what to look for. So, you know, if you're, if you're pregnant, um, at any time, whether you're GBS colonized or not, and you're not feeling well, if you have a fever or maybe perhaps you've been feeling the baby moving and, and then you haven't, uh, for some time, if there's any changes, I think it's really just important to listen to your body, um, trust your instincts. And if you're not feeling well, reach out to your obstetric provider. Um, they often will have you come in and, and, and do an exam and they can look for signs or symptoms that there might be an infection in utero. So really it's about trusting your instincts and, and, you know, taking care of yourself and, and paying attention to, to when you're not feeling well when you're pregnant. So if there are signs, and maybe I'll ask you to go through those signs a little more in detail, but if there's signs that they're not feeling well and mm-hmm. they get tested and they are GPS positive, would someone go on antibiotics during their pregnancy? Mm-hmm. That, that could happen. That's a good question. So um, that really we're talking about chorioimmunitis or an intrauterine infection. So mm-hmm. so some women um, do get admitted and hospitalized because there's concern for an intrauterine infection, um, and that can be caused by GBS or other other bacteria or even viruses. And 
Often those women um, may have a fever or they may have some abdominal tenderness on their exam. The obstetrician might order some blood tests and they might have a high white blood cell count or other signs of infection. And if that's the case, those women can get some antibiotics um, for that and really close monitoring. Mm, Okay. I also was, while I was searching your website, I saw that they recommended getting um, a GBS test during the first prenatal during a urine exam or urine sample. I had no idea that was part of the protocol. Um, So if somebody now listens to this and they're early in their pregnancy and they go see their care provider and like, I would like a urine analysis to see if I have GBS. Do you, how do you think the care provider is going to react to that request? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I, I think that, you know, oftentimes a urine culture is done as part of routine um, prenatal care. Um, and that urine culture really is not to just look for GBS. It's, it's, there to look for a variety of things that can happen. There's a lot of other bacteria that can cause urinary tract infections. There's some signs in, in urine tests, like some protein or, or maybe some red or white blood cells that there may be some, some other things going on. So your obstetrical provider is, is sending that for a variety of reasons, not just a screen for, for GBS. So you might get a little bit of a funny look if you, if you ask for it that way. But I think the point is really that if you have a, a urine test early in your pregnancy and group B strep is found to be growing in that urine culture. The important thing is that's a sign that you're heavily colonized with GBS. And so, so it's really important to know um, your colonization status. And we'll talk about it. You know, typically the protocol is to screen at 36 or 37 weeks of pregnancy for that. Um, but if you have urinary tract infection at any time during your pregnancy, maybe there was one detected during that first prenatal visit where where GBS is growing in that urine culture, then then you can know from that time going forward that you have some GBS colonization, and that's something that we're going to have to pay attention to when it's time for your baby to be delivered. Okay, so would somebody could somebody test negative at one time and then positive at another? Yeah, so um, that is possible. Um, you know, we know from a lot of epidemiologic studies that screening for um, group B strep in women that are pregnant at 36 or 37 weeks of pregnancy, if you screen positive, that's a great predictor that you're going to be colonized with group B strep at the time of your delivery. And that's really what's most important. It's the fact that you are colonized with group B strep at the time of your delivery, because that's often how it's transmitted to a newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we don't want to wait until a woman comes in labor to figure out if she's GBS colonized or not. So, mm-hmm. so the next best option we have is screening at 36 weeks um, or 36 to 37 weeks of gestation. Um, so you asked, is it possible to be negative then and be positive later? Yes, it is. And that can happen really for one of two reasons. The first reason could be that the test wasn't done correctly. Um, you know, fortunately that's rare, but but um, we're human and, and, and testing procedures and protocols are not always perfect. So it can be really a false negative. And the other thing to know is that um, colonization can be what we call dynamic, meaning it can come and go. It can be heavy. It can be light. So it is true that you could truly be negative at 36 weeks of gestation and then be positive later on. And that can happen in a small proportion of individuals. But right now, the best the best screening we have is at 36 to 37 weeks of pregnancy, and it is a very good predictor of your status at the time of delivery. 
So for those that haven't had kids and they're hearing like, oh, this screening at 36 weeks, what is that? Can you talk about Mm -hmm. how it's done? Yeah, sure, sure. So it's it's a pretty... A uh, pretty simple and quick test. Yeah. Um, basically, your, your provider takes um, a swab um, and inserts it into the vagina and also into the rectum. And that swab then is, is placed in a special tube and sent to the laboratory. Um, and we look to see if GBS grows. That's the most traditional way that, that we do this, this type of testing. Um, basically, it's a, it's a culture of GBS. We look for that living bacteria in that culture. And over the past several years, um, that process has been refined, meaning that the chance of a false negative has become smaller and smaller because we have um, great media to transport that specimen and we have um, better procedures in the microbiology labs to to really detect GBS. So that's, that's really um, happening um, uh, much more efficiently than it has. The other way that it can be done, and sometimes this is done um, if for example, a mom comes in in preterm labor or for whatever reason she was unable to be screened at 36 or 37 weeks of gestation, there's a more rapid molecular-based test that can be done that doesn't really involve growing the bacteria in the lab, um, but instead identifying group B strep by um, its DNA. Mm. Okay. Oh, I didn't know about that one. So <laughs> I've had students, I've heard some really wacky stories about how students are like, okay, I want to make sure I'm negative. So the two that really stick out in my mind, because one of them, I just have an image. So one of my students told me, (laughs) (laughs) she took a, a I know where you're going. You know where I'm going with this. She took a I know where you're going with that. Okay, so for those that don't, they're like, where is she going with this? They took a garlic (laughs) clove. In theory, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And she made a hole in the garlic clove. I'm not sure how, but there was a hole made in the garlic clove. Um, I don't know where the string came from, but there's some sort of string put into the Mm -hmm. hole in the garlic clove. And then she made like a garlic tampon. Um, I don't know how long it was up there. I don't know, but I do know she then told me when she went to pull it out, the string broke and her husband had to go get it, go get the garlic clove. So that's one. And then I've also heard from one of my students, actually she's one of our teachers and she said she did like, um, like a Greek yogurt douche. And I'm like, that must've been so Mm -hmm. messy. So those are the two that are, that really just seared in my brain. I'm sure there's probably others you may have heard of. Um, is there, first of all, is that where you were thinking I was going with that one? The garlic? No, I knew exactly where you're going with that. I knew exactly. So why garlic? Why garlic? What, what is it about garlic that people or, or yogurt? Well, yeah. I mean, some of, there are some, some natural, um, foods, um, that have, um, some antibacterial properties. Like and I think that, that is, is that, that they were thinking yeah, that is where, I mean, certainly yogurt we know has some yeah. other bacteria, some probiotics that can be beneficial. And I think that's where some of those practices came from, are they legit? Um, but it's really, it's really important to know that, that there are no home remedies, garlic, yogurt that have been proven safe or effective in reducing GBS disease. And I understand that, you know, obviously there's a lot of concern about the use of antibiotics and, and the um, effects that it can have in your body and, and how it affects the other bacteria that are there. And certainly those are legitimate concerns. However, in the case of GBS colonization, um, the only way that has been proven safe and effective to reduce 
your risk and your baby's risk for um, GBS infection is antibiotics. So, all right. So, um, friends, until out we have there. a vaccine, <laughs> uh, we should focus. Yeah, we should really focus on antibiotics because they are safe and they are they are extraordinarily infe- effective. And there's been a lot of studies uh, on some of these home remedies remedies, and they they are not not proven to be to be effective. And I'll give you one statistic that I like. So um, if a pregnant woman tests positive for GBS um, and receives antibiotics during labor, there's only a one in 4,000 chance of delivering a baby who would develop um, GBS disease. So it's it's a pretty low chance. Um, I wish it were zero, but it's not, but it's a very low chance. If she does not receive antibiotics during labor, her chance of delivering a baby with GBS is one in 200. Wow. Um, so it, the antibiotics work really well. If you are colonized with GBS, um, you're colonized. And the most important thing is to really know your status and know that you're colonized and know that when your baby's going to be delivered, um, antibiotics are really effective in, in reducing transmission to the baby. And there's really not much you can do during pregnancy um, to change your status by, by home remedies. I'm really, really glad that we got that out of the way because I know people, and I'm there too, I'm a type A, like I want to be able to do something if I know there's, you know, an issue. So right. I'm very glad that we, you know, we did address that because I don't want people thinking, okay, I can resolve this because they, they, they can't. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. I think that's a natural instinct, right? You know something, you hear that it can be risk, risky to, to you or your unborn child and you, and you want to fix it, but really um, it's important to know that we do have something. We have a very effective strategy that, that can protect babies. All right. When we come back, I know you gave a few signs of GBS, but if we can go a little bit more into that, all the things people should be aware of, we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. So what are some of the signs that somebody, I think you said fever and just kind of feeling crummy. What else might someone want to look out for that they might be, ha- they might have GBS? When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Sure. Well, I mean, just important to note that the the vast majority of women that have GBS colonization are are just that colonized. So they're not sick. It's part of their their normal body flora, and it's unlikely to cause uh, any problems. Um, in the rare cases where um, a pregnant woman is colonized with GBS and it can ascend up into the uterus and cause um, infection there. Um, we're looking for things that we mentioned earlier, like a fever or generally not feeling well. And if that's the case, really, you do need to call your OB so you could have a full exam and evaluation. If there's any concern for infection there, they might um, admit you to to receive some some antibiotics. But the vast majority of times, this is just a normal part of you. Um, and unfortunately, it could be a risk to your baby, but but very often you're going to feel completely fine. Now, in a newborn, um, there can be some some really telling signs. Um, 
it's important to realize that that newborns with infection um, don't often have a fever. They may have a fever, and of course, a fever can be concerning, but they can really show some other signs. So a newborn might be fussy, um, might appear extra sleepy or lethargic. Um, they're not feeding well. Sometimes they're making some grunting or groaning noises when they're breathing or could have some color changes. Um, and so if, if anyone were to, to see any of those signs or symptoms in their baby, um, it's so important that you call your pediatrician immediately or go, go to an emergency room for an evaluation because babies are different than, than older children. They're, they may not, you know, spike a fever, um, and have, have, may have some more subtle signs to look for. So those are the signs that they could be sick, but what, what would GBS do to a newborn? How does it mm-hmm. affect their bodies? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so, um, group B strep, um, can cause, um, a bloodstream infection in a neonate, right? So that just means that there's GBS circulating in their blood. Sometimes it can be, um, found in the lungs. It can cause pneumonia, um, it's a leading cause of meningitis, which is an infection around around the the um, brain and spinal cord. Um, so obviously, that's that's a very concerning um, type of manifestation. Um, in some babies, GBS can cause a, a skin or soft tissue infection, um, a joint infection, um, and it's really important to note that in in medicine we talk about GBS in neonates presenting in two different pre- in two different ways. So there's early onset GBS, and that's GBS that occurs in the first week of life, um, soon after a baby's born. In fact, most of it occurs in the first day of life. Um, and then there's something called late onset GBS. And these are babies that um, are born and look absolutely fine or often um, discharged home from the hospital or birthing center with their, with their families and then get sick um, after that first week of life. Um, and, um, those are the, the babies that may have, have some more subtle things like a, um, skin or joint infections or some, some grunting when they're breathing or just some lethargy. So it, it's a, it can cause a whole host of, of problems in a newborn. And, and really, um, I always tell, tell moms and dads and, 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 um, caregivers to, to trust your instincts. If the baby's not acting, um, well or acting differently. Um, there's really no harm in calling your pediatrician or if you're very concerned, um, bringing them in for, for a good look and making sure that it's, it's nothing serious. It was interesting when I was doing teacher training, cause I teach a lot of, um, prenatal yoga teachers, how to teach prenatal mm-hmm. yoga. In one of our sessions, we had someone that had just had her baby and we also had an L and D nurse. So it kind of went into a deeper conversation. Mm-hmm. And one of them said that at I can't remember if it was the L&D nurse or the person that just had a baby. Somebody was saying that their hospital's protocol was not to do antibiotics, but to do an, an observation of the baby. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that's so interesting because I've only worked in the New York hospitals where the protocol was always start, you know, antibiotics at least two rounds, four hours apart. Have mm-hmm. you heard of, have that changed over the years? Have you heard of people just doing more of an observation? Because what you're saying is it could show up right then and there or could, or it could mm-hmm. be a week or two later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a good question. So, so just we'll be clear. So for a, a mom that has GBS colonization mm-hmm. uh, that we know is GBS colonized or that has a um, urine culture early in pregnancy positive for GBS or a mom that had a baby um, in a past pregnancy that was affected by by GBS, all of those moms should receive antibiotics during labor. Um, so then the next question is what to do about the baby that's been um, exposed, right? So that baby was born to a mom that 
did not get antibiotics mm-hmm. um, in time. Maybe she labored really quickly, or maybe the baby was born preterm, or for whatever reason, um, that baby was exposed, and we didn't have the benefit of that antibiotic um, uh, uh, treatment during right. during labor and delivery. Um, so yeah, things have really evolved. And um, it, when I did my training, the um, recommendation was that all those babies um, were 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 treated. If, if there was any concern for intrauterine infection or there was even group B strep that was not adequately treated um, by giving um, antibiotics uh, to mom during delivery, often those babies got antibiotics, even if they looked fine. Um, and so what's happened in, in, in the recent decades is that um, because screening practices have, have become um, so routine and, and, and moms are getting screened and moms are often getting antibiotics and our upstairs colleagues are doing such a great job of keeping an eye out for infections. Um, what we do now is if a baby's been exposed but otherwise looks well, um, we can observe that baby. So, you know, that's not a baby that we would discharge early, but that's a baby that we could watch very closely in the hospital um, for any signs and symptoms. And that kind of goes to that idea of balancing antibiotic exposure, right? Because mm-hmm. we know that that antibiotics have their have their risks and have their benefits. So we know that if a baby looks healthy and we can do serial observations, um, that the risk of infection um, is actually quite low. So, so many of us have moved to observing those babies. That is However, that doesn't apply to a kiddo that, you know, um, of course, has a fever or a baby that appears fussy or extra sleepy or is not feeding well or has any real changes. Those could be signs for sepsis. And if those babies are exposed, then, then antibiotic treatment is the right, the right, right way to go. So baby, so if the birthing parent has GBS baby and then doesn't have time to get antibiotics instead of just yeah. giving that's shifted. I like hearing that instead of just shifting yeah. to baby gets antibiotics. Now it's a, a watch and see. So does that parent then get sent home with the list of like, okay, we're watching and seeing everything looks good. Let's check in in a week and make sure baby's still looking good. I'm guessing there's yeah. follow up. So, so the risk really for delivering, um, a baby, um, uh, uh, that's been the risk. I'm sorry. Let me reword that. So the risk really, um, is in a baby that has been exposed to GBS with inadequate treatment, meaning they didn't get antibiotics in time or they, they delivered early. Um, those babies, if they stay well for the first 48 hours of life, the risk that they would develop early onset sepsis is actually very, very low. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we send those babies home with the same instructions we do for all babies that, um, you know, GBS is not the one we're, we're talking about today, but it's not the only cause of infection. Babies can can develop um, all sorts of things. And so we send everybody home with the same sort of uh, watchful guidance um, to trust your instincts to watch your baby closely. And if something changes to give your pediatrician a call, just to have a really low threshold to reach out if you have any concerns. Um, GBS that occurs later, that late onset GBS that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, antibiotics during delivery really does not um, change the risk for that. Unfortunately, we don't have any strategies right now um, to prevent late onset GBS. Um, And, you know, um, babies that present with late onset GBS may have acquired GBS at the time of delivery. That's quite common, but they also might inquire, acquire it from their environment or, or other caregivers. Um, and the, the, the risk, um, is still there and it's not, 
not really changed by giving moms antibiotics. So in those cases, it's just the same guidance that we give for, for all babies is, is keep Keep your pediatrician appointments. If something changes, if your baby's not looking well or you're feeling like something's off, go ahead and reach out and give us a call. So I'm going to back up a little bit to thinking about the whole someone's pregnant, they are GBS. So I want to go into a little bit about pregnancy and then a little bit about the labor process. So can you explain why someone should not have, if they have GBS positive, they should not have their membrane stripped to stimulate labor? Why is that? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question and that's something that's been studied for for a long time and I think there's some mixed data about that but really that that stems from the concern that there might be some, you know, bacterial seeding um meaning some spread of some bacteria that's found there in in the vaginal tract during the procedure of membrane stripping really which is, you know, um done done by uh, an OB or or a midwife or or um, a doula when when you're trying to hasten labor. Um, and, and manipulation of the membranes, um, can, can hypothetically cause some, uh, bacteria to get in there. And if a mom's colonized with GBS, that could, that could increase the risk. Now the, the evidence is, is limited. If you look at the American College of Obstetrics website, they say that the, the data are inconclusive and we're not really sure if it's been associated. And then there's been other studies to show that it is associated. And I think that the most important data or the most important takeaway message for, for women is to one, know your status, know if you're colonized with GBS or not. Um, and if there is, um, you know, consideration of, of membrane sweeping or stripping to stimulate later labor to really talk to your provider about the potential risks and, and benefits of, of that, um, um, it, it may be best just to, just to wait until labor occurs and, and not increase any risk for, for translocation of, of GBS during that procedure. Yeah. It's a, I can imagine when someone's right around their due date, they're like, I want to get this baby out, do what you got to do. But I, I like your idea of like, maybe it's a wait and see, wait to see if labor can start before having to head up in there and try sure. to membranes. And the, there's Absolutely. And there's nothing we do that really doesn't have um, a risk and benefit to to consider. And I think that really talking to your provider and um, exploring those potential risks and benefits of anything we do during during pregnancy or labor um, is, is really worth a worthwhile conversation. So let's also talk about someone finds out, okay, know my status, GBS positive, they head into labor. So we've been take we've been talking antibiotics and I'd love just to, if you can explain a little bit more how the antibiotics are given, the protocol, how, how far apart, how long yeah. they should have. How, so yeah. there you go. Yeah. Go. <laughs> that's a, that's a great, a great question. So, so yeah. So if you know that, that, um, you're positive for GBS, your obstetrician has, or your provider has, has done, um, a screening test and, you, and you're a GBS carrier, the first thing is don't panic. I think, you know, Pregnancy can be really anxiety inducing. And, um, you know, the goal here is not to, not to cause extra anxiety. It's to, to know that, um, we have this information and we have something that we can, we can do about it, which is really, 
really important. So if you are a carrier for GBS and you're going into labor, you are going to get, it is recommended that you get some intravenous antibiotics prior to delivery. Um, those antibiotics are safe and have a long history of use. They're most often penicillin um, or ampicillin. If there's an allergy, there are some women that are allergic to, to penicillin. There's some alternatives, some cephalosporins that can be used. Um, but but those are the the antibiotics that, that we know are, are safe and effective. Um, in preventing early onset disease. And so if a woman is a carrier and she presents in labor, the obstetrician is, is, is going to start those antibiotics, um, right away. Um, sometimes things happen very quickly. So you might be rolling in and your, your baby's delivering and you don't have time to get that import. So that gets to your question about how, how often or how frequently. So we really would like to know that antibiotics are like we say on board, like you've received antibiotics four hours before your baby is delivered. Um, that was sort of the traditional teaching. And now we know that even maybe, maybe at least two hours is, is, is pretty good. So the longer they're on board, at, at least two hours, um, is, is beneficial. And the reason it's beneficial is not because it's going to get rid of your colonization. Remember, GBS is a part of you. It's a part of your body. It's going to be there. There are not, um, um, antibiotics that you can give during labor that's going to change your colonization status. Um, it can, those antibiotics can, maybe decrease the amount of GBS that's present there in, in your vaginal tract for your delivery. Um, and that can be helpful, but that decrease is really transient. Um, there's going to, GBS is going to come back and continue to colonize you and you'll be just fine with that likely. Um, but what it really does is it gets um, the, the antibiotic goes to your baby. Um, and so you're, it, it basically bolsters your baby so that your baby has circulating penicillin or ampicillin at the time of delivery. So that if GBS, um, if they come in contact with GBS and it, and it tries to get into their bloodstream, they have sort of a circulating level of that antibiotic that can protect them from invasive infection. So that's how it really works. Um, if you're not so lucky that your labor tends to be very long, um, and we know it can be a long process and that dose of antibiotics is repeated, um, every four hours, um, depending on the antibiotic that's, that's being used, um, until you do deliver. Now, you were talking about the baby going through the vaginal canal. What about for a, a cesarean birth? Yeah, that's a great question. So so actually, if you are having a cesarean delivery and your um, membranes are not, not ruptured and you're not in labor, then they don't administer intrapartum um, antibiotic prophylaxis. That's sort of the fancy name for giving antibiotics prior to, tr- prior to your delivery. Um, because, um, you know, the baby is not going to be traveling through the, through the vaginal canal um, and have that opportunity to, to encounter GBS. Now, if you do have some labor prior to your C-section, maybe you're having a C-section because you had one before, um, and you come in labor, um, or if you have a rupture of membranes prior to your C-section, then theoretically your baby can be exposed to GBS. Mm-hmm. And in those instances, um, prophylaxis is indicated, meaning mom should receive some antibiotics. Mm, I love it. You're answering so many questions. All right. So <laughs> I have one final question. We're going to take a quick break, but when we sure. come back, if you can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new mm-hmm. and expectant parents, and it can be anything that you want to share. We'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so this can be anything that you feel that you want new and expectant parents to walk away with. What would that be? Well, I think it's true for GBS, but it's true for all things um, parenting. I'm a parent and I know um, it's hard. Um, it's hard to, to know. And I think we often um, question ourselves. And I think that um, the most important thing is to trust your instincts. Um, we are all um, amazing advocates for our children. Um, we should be advocates for ourselves. And I think if you trust your instinct, um, your baby's not acting well or not acting right, um, seek attention. Don't, don't be worried about reaching out. Don't be worried about um, calling your pediatrician late at night. Um, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you get reassurance that your baby's absolutely fine. Um, the best thing that could happen actually is that you could potentially save your baby's life. And I've seen that time and time again, a mom or dad or, or a, a caregiver recognizes that the baby is, is not acting themselves and seeks medical attention. And, and that really, um, can mean all the difference in the world. Um, and so that's true for GBS, but I think it's true for, for parenting in general, all sorts of things that can, can occur, um, during early childhood, really, um, you know, your baby best. Um, and trust your instincts. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I love that you did say that's for everything because we really, as parents, you're right. We know our kids the best. We know the subtle nuances that someone else may not see. So that's great advice. Where can that's people... absolutely true. Yeah. Where can people find your work? Sure. So I'll, I'll refer everybody to the, the group B strep international, um, uh, website. It's uh, group B strep international.org. Um, and there are links there to all of us that are, that are, um, involved in this wonderful organization. There are some stories from parents who have been, um, their lives have been affected by, by GBS, um, that, um, really have some, some inspirational stories to, to share and help others that might be, um, affected by this. Um, there's some, uh, a lot of information about current research that's going on out there. This organization, um, really brings together, um, a, a whole bunch of scientists all over the world that are, that are working to develop new strategies to, to prevent GBS. And so there's a lot of information there and links to, to all of our bios and our work. Oh, that is so great. And I really appreciate your time um, in explaining this because we hear about it. You know, all pregnant people are going to hear about it, but it's nice to understand what this is and, and what to look out for. And then also just kind of taking the stigma away of like, oh, I have GBS. So many people do. <laughs> I mean, I think you said 25% oh, of people do. So that's important. Well, thank you so much for it's your been, time. It's been my pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.